Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we're going to be at. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Uh, we've been moving through the book of Deuteronomy, um, this book of Moses' sermons to the uh, Israelites as they are at the promised land for the second time. They came to the promised land the first time and blew it. They were unbelieving. They didn't trust God, didn't trust that God would come through for them, didn't trust that God would, would deliver them. And so they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years uh, until they come again to the second time. And now they are uh, ready to go in again. And Moses is preaching to them, reminding them of God's covenant, reminding them of what God has promised to do and stirring up their faith so that they don't blow it a second time. So that's where we're at this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, hey, I don't know if you noticed this, but we've got a new, uh, a new uh, launching pad or landing pad in, in front of our, uh, our uh, sidewalk here. Um, we had a bunch of ripples in the asphalt, and uh, we had affectionately nicknamed that place Another One Bites the Dust because uh, uh, they were going down frequently, and we had a lady in the 11 o'clock service last week fall, and uh, we had some guys just took the initiative, uh, uh, Jeff Squibb and Logan Pope, Logan's using this service, and uh, Hunter Wellman, and uh, they grabbed some help, and uh, they tore out that asphalt and reconcreted that, and so it is smooth. So please enjoy that on your way out, all right? And uh, hopefully you'll be safe. We'll all be safe. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Are you ready? The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose, hill, out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care, though, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
Father, we thank you for this chapter. Uh, we thank you, Father, um, for your, your sovereignty and your providence over our lives. Um, Father, we don't ever want the wilderness. God, we, we, don't, we don't enjoy your disciplining hand. Uh, God, we don't enjoy when hard things are thrust into our lives. Um, but, Father, we trust you. We trust you as a good father, uh, that you, you have good in mind for us. Uh, Lord, we trust you even through the painful things of life. Uh, and God, I pray that you would help us to remember the wilderness. Help us to remember uh, how you've taken care of us. And Lord, help us not to forget you, even in times of prosperity. Lord, help us not to forget um, whose we are. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, make this passage clear in our hearts. Stir us up to obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice verse 2 that I find a little bit uh, interesting, I guess, or strange. It says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, So he tells them right off the bat, you guys, you need to remember the wilderness. Now remember, they, they just come out of the wilderness, you know? I mean, they're, they're just, they're, it's right behind them. You know, for the last 40 years, they've spent wandering around and around in the wilderness while the entire generation of their parents died off, okay? And, and so it, to me, it's just a little bit interesting that, that Moses says, hey, guys, make sure you remember your wilderness times. You know, I mean, it's almost like there's this widespread epidemic of amnesia that hits the Israelites, and all of a sudden, you know, they're walking around like, you know, where have we been for the last 40 years? Where'd mom and dad go? You know, they were right there. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a strange thing to me for Moses to say, you know, it, it's just this, this incredibly impactful, defining thing in their lives. And he's telling them, guys, make sure that you remember your time in the wilderness. And, and I think kind of helping us to understand what he's saying there is the fact that remember does not always simply mean recollect the facts of, okay? Sometimes it, it means more like, you know, keep something right in front of you so that it will impact your your life, okay? It's kind of like, remember the, uh, the the battle cry of the American army? Uh, remember the Alamo? Remember that? It was kind of the, the cry that, that the Americans took into, you know, defeating Santa Ana and, and the Mexican army. And, and by remember the Alamo, they weren't saying, hey guys, you know, do you guys remember what happened to the Alamo? And, no, we don't remember what happened to that. No, it wasn't like that. It was more, hey guys, keep this right in front of you to motivate you to be aggressive in pursuing what must be done here. Okay. So that's the way the word is, is used here in the sense of what I like to say is keep the truth on your windshield and not in your glove compartment. Okay. There's a lot of things that we know, but not everything is always on our windshield, right? There's a lot of things that we, if you ask us, Hey, do you remember that? Well, yeah, I remember that, you know, but, but that doesn't mean it's on the windshield of your life. It's right in front of you. And so there, there's many things in the scripture that the Bible tells us, Hey, keep right in front of you. Keep on the windshield of your life. Keep this truth. Keep this, this happening. Keep what God has done right here in front of you so that it will motivate you and stir you up to action. That's kind of what Peter was saying in 2 Peter 1.13. We looked at this a couple weeks ago when he tells them, uh, he tells uh, the people, he says, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So in other words, Peter says, I'm, I'm telling you guys stuff that you already know, but it's really good for me to tell you because even though you know it, it's in your glove compartment, okay? But it needs to be right here. It needs to be right here so that you will be stirred up in obedience and stirred up to follow Christ. It is to call to mind certain information that transforms a direction, okay? So, so maybe it's not new information, but it's simply information that you need to keep in front of you at all times. Now, the Bible's full of examples of this principle of kind of remembering. Okay, making sure you've got something on the windshield of your life. Um, 
we're, we're, we're told often to remember the gospel or to appropriate the gospel. What does that mean? Uh, that means you got to keep the gospel right in front of your life. Uh, when you talk to Christians, I, I, I can't imagine talking to a Christian and saying, well, tell me how you were saved. And they'll be like, well, I don't remember. You know, how was I saved? You know, I, I, there's probably, uh, hopefully there's not any Christian who, who would say that, okay? But, but what we mean by remember the gospel is every day you ought to get up and you ought to remember, hey, I was a sinner. I was broken. I was lost. I was separated from God. And Jesus Christ died on, my, on the cross for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. He rose from the dead. And now I'm connected to his life to live with him forevermore. That ought to be every day on your windshield. You ought always to remember that. And what we call that is appropriating that, appropriating the gospel. Um, Jesus told us to do that through the Lord's Supper. We took the Lord's Supper last week. One of the reasons we do that every month, uh, continually, you know, we're baptized once, but we take the Lord's Supper continually throughout our Christian life. And it, it is for the purpose of remembering the gospel, the purpose of always keeping the gospel in the forefront of our mind, in the forefront of, 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 of our life. Uh, we do this lots of different ways. Uh, some people have journals that they write in. Uh, we have a little family one that we've just started. Uh, me and the kids uh, do it. And, and we, we write down prayer requests. You know, last night we wrote some requests down. You know, things that were on, on the kids' hearts. And it was, all right, we're going to write these down and we're going to pray for them. And then when God answers them, we're going to come back in this book and we're going to write that God answered them. And then we're going to periodically look through the book and we're going to remember what God has done. We're going to remember, we're going to keep in the forefront of our mind what God has done for our family. Uh, personal testimony. You know, giving your testimony. I don't know if you do that very often, but it's really a healthy thing to do, to, to tell people about what God has done. It's healthy for them, but it's also healthy for you to keep that in the forefront of your mind. Um, in Vacation Bible School, we looked at a story in the Old Testament in which uh, God did this mighty work of, of, of stopping the Jordan River, o- opening the Jordan River up, and then all the Israelites walked across. And after they walked across, Joshua said, hey, you know, I want 12 guys to go get some big rocks out of that river. And so they all go get big rocks, and they stack these 12 rocks up on the other side of the river. And Joshua was said, that's to, be a, that's to be a place of remembrance. So whenever you guys walk by it, whenever your kids walk by it, they're going to say, hey, Dad, what's that big pile of rocks? Hey, son, let me tell you that story. And, and even if they remember, every time you walk by, they're, hey, guys, do you remember what God did here? It's keeping something on the forefront of your mind. And so in, in that spirit, Moses says, hey, guys, verse 2 here, you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. All right? So so he's saying, guys, we got to remember this. We've got to keep this in the forefront of our minds. Now, you know, honestly, the wilderness would often be something you'd want to forget, okay? This was not a happy time, really, in Israel's history. I mean, this was not a time of victory. This was really kind of a time of, 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 of discipline. It was grueling, and there were fiery serpents, and there were scorpions, and there was hunger, and there was thirst, and there was never having a poor man at home, and always wondering, and not getting anywhere. Always on the road, but not getting anywhere. And, you know, it, it was almost... To, Some might look at it as a waste. You know, I I bet there were some Israelites that were tempted to say, man, these last 40 years have been nothing but a waste in our lives. You you ever look at certain things in your life that way? Man, I I tell you, if there's one thing that I hate, it's it's waste. You know, have you you ever done this? Have you ever gotten lost or turned around and you drove in the wrong direction for like half an hour? That kind of thing just burns me up. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, you know I, I fume over it like the, the rest of the day, you know, that we, we, we wasted an hour, you know. Or, or do you ever buy something? You know, you thought you were going to need it, and so you bought it, and then you found out you didn't need it, but you couldn't take it back. And so you get, now you got, man, that kind of stuff really bothers me because it just seems so inefficient. It's wasteful. It's like that was for no good purpose. And you know what? I, I bet there were Israelites who, who would say in their mind, man, that 40 years was nothing but a waste. 
You know, we could have been in the promised land 40 years ago, but mom and dad messed up, didn't believe. And now we've had to just wander around for 40 years. And, and they would have really been tempted to say, you know what? That, man, that was nothing but a waste. I don't want to remember that. You know, something we learn about God, though, is that God doesn't waste stuff. Uh, he doesn't waste your pain. And he doesn't waste your difficult experiences. He doesn't waste your problems. He doesn't waste your hardships. God, God is always working through all of those things. That's what the Bible tells us. And sometimes the, the detours that we might consider to be waste are not really waste at all. They're actually God is doing something great. You, do you believe that? You believe that? You know, those times in your life sometimes where you're like, you know what, God? I, I'd be so much better off without this thing. In you. Have you ever said that? I mean, I say that. Uh, you know, sometimes you just get, God, why? Why do, I, why do we got this thing? Why, why, why does this have to happen, you know? Why does there have to be this sickness? Why does there have to be this trial? Why does there have to be pain? God, it'd be so much easier if you just smoothed out the road, you know? If you just took away all the bumps and, and we could just cruise right in. God, why don't you do that? But, but what Moses tells the people here, look in verse 2. He says, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, And then the rest of the verse tells us that God has a very unique purpose for those times. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. You see, God had a very necessary and deliberate plan for the Israelites in the wilderness. It's encouraging to me, you know, as I, as I look at my own life, as I look at you guys' lives, as I get to be a part of sometimes your wilderness times where you've got something really painful in your life and, you know, you, you were headed this way with your family and had a good plan, and all of a sudden, bam, something derails that and you've got a big painful detour that you've got to take. And, it, and it's encouraging to me to, to see verses like this that tell us that, Listen, God's not wasting things like that. God has, a, God has a deliberate plan that he's carrying out. In fact, valuable things were happening to the, to the Israelites in the wilderness. That's what verse 2 tells us. It wasn't a wasted time. Actually, some really valuable things were happening. The first thing he says there is that he might humble you. Okay, They, they were being put into positions of want and need and trial again and again in the wilderness for a very specific purpose, okay? God God was putting them in positions of need, putting them in positions of want, putting them in positions where they could not handle things on their own, where they were frail to teach them humility, to teach them to call out to God, to teach them to turn to God. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, He humbled you, and He let you hunger, and He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that that He might make known to you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God let them be hungry. Did you notice that? I mean, it's, it's very specific there, the language. God put them in a position where they could not feed themselves, and they were hungry, and then God fed them with manna. God feeds them with this supernatural, I don't know if you know, if you remember the story of the manna, but uh, God, God tells them, look, I'm going to take care of you. They cry out to God, God, we're hungry, we can't feed ourselves, we're out here in the wilderness, there's nothing to eat. And God says, hey, let, I'm going to take care of you morning and night, you're going to go out from your tent, there's going to be this dew-like substance on the ground, it's going to be this flaky uh, tortilla type stuff, you know, it's on the ground, you have tortillas every night for 40 years, you know, and, and so you gather it up and uh, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to feed you miraculously through no effort of your own for 40 years, okay? And God does that. Uh, He feeds them. And and he says the lesson here is that he might teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God lets them get hungry in the wilderness, and then he feeds them to teach them that, you know what? God is what you need. You got to come to God for everything that you need. It's interesting that Jesus quotes this verse 
in his temptation. Um, one of the interesting things about Matthew chapter 4, that, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' temptation, is, is that all the parallels between the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites and Jesus' uh, temptation in, in, in the wilderness, in the desert. Um, he quotes Deuteronomy three times, by the way. I think every one of those quotes, uh, I think it might be, maybe, maybe not. I, th- I think there's at least two uh, that he quotes from Deuteronomy. But, but think about this. Um, Forty years in the wilderness from the Israelites. Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. How many, day- how many days? Remember that? Forty days, right? Forty years, 40 days. Uh, the Israelites were hungry. Jesus is hungry. Let, let me read you this passage. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? So, 40 years in the, in the wilderness, the Israelites. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. Um, the Israelites are led to the wilderness by God. Jesus is led to the wilderness by the, whole, by the, by the Spirit. Uh, the Israelites are hungry. Jesus is hungry. God's about to bring about uh, uh, deliverance to the promised land through Joshua in, in, in the Deuteronomy story. Uh, God's about to bring deliverance to all God's people through Jesus in the New Testament. Did you know that Jesus and Joshua are actually the same word? In, in Greek they are. Uh, same root in, in Hebrew. So lots of parallels there. And, and so Jesus, as he is hungry, he quotes this verse. So, so he's out in the wilderness, he's hungry, and the devil comes to him and says, Hey, hey Jesus, you're the son of God. Hey, why don't you do, this is implied here, but I think this is what Satan's implying. He said, why don't you do that manna thing? Remember, God did that. You know, why don't you just do that manna thing? I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But, but do you see the subtle difference? Satan is tempting Jesus to do what? Do exactly what the Israelites were not to do, which was depend on myself to meet my needs. And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he says, no, 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 Satan, don't you remember that story? <laughs> what? What the purpose of the wilderness was for is so that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone. Okay? You, you don't live by your own skills. You don't live by your own abilities. You don't just depend on yourself. You're not to live independent from God. You're not to live on your own apart from God. No, you're, you're to learn that look, everything you need is in God. And that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So basically what Jesus is saying there is, look, I I am radically trusting God to meet all my needs. God was showing the Israelites their need, and then he was showing them his incredible power to meet that every need. And what God was doing, listen up, guys. God was cultivating a a posture of dependence upon God. Okay, You desperately need that. I desperately need The Israelites desperately needed that. They needed to learn to live in a posture of dependence upon God. Now, now, why is that so important? Well, it, the Bible says in order to receive anything from the Lord, uh, we, we've got to learn humility. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. Okay? God gives his riches. God gives his grace to the humble. Okay? God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so verse 2 is telling us that, that, that what God was doing in the wilderness, he was teaching them humility. It's a vital lesson. He was teaching them that, look, you guys, you, you, you've got to learn a posture of dependence, a posture of humility toward me. And it's a vital lesson throughout all the Christian life. Okay? Everything, everything that we live in the Christian life comes about from that posture of dependence upon God. In fact, Jesus told us that unless you learn to be humble, unless you learn humility, you, like a child is the illustration he used, you'll never get into the kingdom of God. Uh, the gospel, the nature of the gospel is, is humility. Okay? Nobody's ever going to get saved unless they first learn this humility and dependence principle. 
Um, one, one of the biggest obstacles to salvation, Andrew and I were talking with a guy this week, and this was, this was one of his struggles, was he just couldn't get past, I, what do I need to do? You know, it's about my works. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to do good works. You know, we, we keep trying to pull him away from that. No, but see, it's not about that. You know, you, 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 you've already blown it. You're a sinner. You're, you, you've already offended God. You're already separated from God. You can't, you can't get to God through your good works. The only way you can get to God is by realizing that you've got nothing to offer. And, and, and you're, 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 you're out. You're separated from him. You can't get back to him. The only way you get back is through faith in Jesus. You've got to let Jesus work for you. You can't work for him. And so the nature of the gospel is this whole principle of a posture of dependence toward God. The nature of the Christian life. Are there good works in the Christian life? You bet. But all of those good works come from us depending upon God and God working through us. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we're his workmanship created in good work, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But look, look at where they come from, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and so the Israelites are learning this lesson in the wilderness that, that we've, we've, the, only, the only way we relate with God is through a posture of dependence. And guys, sometimes we need adversity to learn that lesson. Sometimes we need to be stretched beyond what we can handle to cause us to depend upon God for what we need. Now, some of you are going to ask, well, does that mean that, you know, man, this, this almost sounds like we're just like helpless and we can't do anything on our own. And, and you know, we're just kind of don't try anything because you won't be able to do it. Um, not exactly. I mean, to some degree, yes. To some degree, that's exactly what the Bible is saying, is that you can't do anything of spiritual value apart from God. Okay? If, if that's the track you're on in your life, that you're living independent from God, then no, nothing you do is going to be right. Okay? It's, it's, it's all not going to be what God has intended it to be. But, but the Bible's not saying that we don't attempt anything, we don't try anything, we, 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 don't, we don't strive for anything, but rather it's saying we, we don't strive for anything apart from God. Listen to this verse out of Philippians. Some of you, this is, this is one of your favorite verses. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, did you hear that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can do all things. So hey, yeah, shoot big. I mean... Shoot, shoot wild. Try, try to do great things for God, great mission for God, great acts of generosity. You know, love your, love your spouse, love your family. Uh, all, all of those things. Yes, 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 you can do it. But notice, through Christ who strengthens you. It, it, it's, it's all, it all comes from a dependence upon God. My strength is very limited. My abilities are very undependable. God's strength, on the other hand, is infinite. God's strength is always faithful. Nothing is too difficult to him. So what I must learn to do is to depend upon God and not myself. Okay, I can do more through dependence upon God than I can do attempting my own deeds on my own strength. So... The wilderness is the thing that should have taught them this. Verse 2, let me read it again. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the purpose of the wilderness is to teach them to depend upon God, to teach them a, a posture of dependence, a time of testing, that they would turn to God, depend upon him, put their trust in him. Let me let me clarify something. There, there's a subtle difference in uh, in in how do we turn to God. Um, some of you you may know the story of the Israelites in the wilderness, and you, you might say, "Hey, you know what, Pastor? The way I read that, they turned to God all the time. You know, anytime they had a problem, they they were turned to God. Not not necessarily turning in faith, though. Do you remember how how it happened at first? You know, whenever they would run into a problem, what would they do? 
they would turn to God, but not in faith and anger. Okay, remember, remember how that manifested? We had several sermons uh, about a month ago, grumbling and complaining. Okay, uh, that that was initially what the what the what the Israelites learned in the wilderness. Okay, they'd go out. Here's kind of the scenario that would happen: they they would be uh, wandering in the wilderness. They would get hungry. There's no food, and so their immediate response was, "God." What'd you do to us? You know, why did we listen to you? You know, we knew that you, you didn't have our, our good in mind. This was all just a big trick. Man, I'm so angry. We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have never come this way. Grumbling, complaining. Okay, now that's, that's not turning to God in a posture of dependence. That's turning to God in a posture of, of anger, of complaining, of grumbling, of bitterness. Okay? And, and I, I bet many of us could identify with that response as well. Hey, that's not a posture of faith toward God. That's not a posture of dependence. When it, whenever we respond to the trials in our life by grumbling, whenever we respond to the trials in our life by our immediate reaction is, God, I'm mad and I'm going to throw a fit because I didn't get what I want and, and I wish that, I, I, wish that I, I would never have followed you. Okay, that, that's not dependence. That's not faith. And, and, and so we see through the wilderness that God begins to work that out of them and they begin to learn, you know what? We can trust God. You know what? God's always come through for us in the past. You know what? Instead of being angry with God, instead of doubting God, we, we, we need to trust him. And so this whole wilderness time is this gradual teaching of God, disciplining of God, to get them to the point where they begin to respond to God in dependence and faith and not grumbling and complaining and anger. Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us about God's discipline. Listen to this. This is for us. Uh, first, verse 5 of chapter 12. And, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. All right, so what does that say? Well, basically what that says is, you know what God does for his children? He disciplines them, okay? So, so if you find yourself in the wilderness, uh, your, your immediate response should not be, man, God, you know, you betrayed me. I, I must not be your son. No, I think if you find yourself in the wilderness, what you should say is, evidently I am a son. Because that, God disciplines his sons. You don't discipline other people's kids, Right? You know, I mean, sometimes you would like to, I'm sure, uh, but you don't because they're not your kids. You know, if, if you're walking through Walmart and some kid's throwing a, uh, a big tantrum, you know, doing the, the spinning around on the floor thing, you know, you don't come up and, and spank the kid. You know, hopefully not. Uh, it's not your kid. But if it's your kid doing that, hopefully, you know, there's some there's some action. There's some immediate. Why? Because they're your kid and you love them. And Hebrews 12 tells us the exact same thing about you and your life. That because God loves you, there will be times when he disciplines you, okay? Don't think of it so much as punishment, but as training. 
That's what the wilderness was. The wilderness was a training time. They had this 40-year detour to the promised land because they had some things they had to learn. They had to learn to trust God. They had to learn that man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So don't be concerned about bread. Be concerned about God's word. And orient yourself to God and learn to trust God and learn to depend on God. And whenever, whenever you hit adversity, learn to immediately take a posture of dependence upon God. The Israelites needed to, to learn the lesson of dependence and humility in the wilderness. Now, look at, look at where this passage goes. Okay, um, So the beginning says, hey guys, remember. Remember the wilderness. Remember, remember what God's done. Remember your training there. But, but then as he, as he moves through, he says, all right, now you're going to be going in the promised land. And there's an even bigger threat than the wilderness. You know, many times we think the biggest threat to our faith is, is those tough times, don't we? You know, man, you get cancer, you have some kind of hardship in your life, you have some kind of difficulty, some kind of strain in your family. And, and our thinking is, man, you know, this is rocking my faith. And it's, you know, a lot of times, and that can be true, depending on how you handle it, if you don't, if you don't have a posture of dependence, if, if you get angry and grumble and complain, yes, it can. But, but what, what Deuteronomy 8 tells us here is that, that an even bigger danger to your faith is not the wilderness times, it's the prosperity times. It's the opposite, okay? Notice verse 7 through 14 here. Let's, let's read it again. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs flowing out into hills and valleys, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full and, shall, and, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. All right, so they're getting ready to go in the promised land and they're not going to be in the wilderness anymore. And so now, instead of a tent, they're going to have a house, you know? Ladies, that, that means a lot, doesn't it? You know, and, and instead of constantly wandering around, they're going to have a place they can say, this is our town, and this is our home, and this is our backyard, and this is our field. This is ours. This is our vineyard, and these are our cattle, and these are our flocks, and the, these are our herds. And so that, they're going to have all of that now. And in verse 11, he says, take care lest you forget. Same imagery there. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and the statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and have herds and flocks multiplying your silver and gold. You got a bank account that's overflowing, it's multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Then here's the danger. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Who led you through the ter- great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water. And who brought you water out of the, out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that you may confirm his covenant that he swore to you and to your fathers to this day. You know, it's very doubtful that most of us would ever look at prosperity as being a dangerous thing in our life. Um, And that's the subtle thing of it, right? I mean, anytime prosperity comes, what's our immediate response? Our immediate response is not, hey, guys, we need to be careful with this, man. Thank you, Lord. God, it's your blessing, and we want to thank you for giving it to us. But okay, family, man, we got to be really careful now. You know, now that we don't got to worry so tightly about our budget, man, we got to be careful spiritually. Now that, you know, dad's got this job, he's got some more freedom, and and we got more free time, man, we got to be careful. I mean, hardly anybody does that, do we? You know, we, we just don't, we don't think of that as being a danger. But in Deuteronomy 8, 
It's prosperity and not the wilderness that's the danger to their faith. The wilderness is actually the thing that's building up their faith. Prosperity is the thing that could potentially tear it down. Now, why is that? Well, verse 14 says two things here. That your heart may be lifted up and that you may forget the Lord. You see... And again, forget, for, what, what, in what sense are we saying forget? We're not saying forget as in, you know, hey, you know, we got a new job, got a raise, you know, hey, we we're able to pay our bills, and now we're all of a sudden like, okay, now who did we worship? What was his name? Was it Buddha? Is that who, you know, it's not forget in that sense. It's forget in the sense that God ceases to be on the windshield, okay? He ceases to be the thing right in front of our lives. He ceases to be the thing that's the factor that controls all of our decisions, Okay? Verse 17 says, prosperity can lead us to say and and, and to think the toxic lie, my power and my might have gotten us this wealth. Prosperity can be hard to handle because prosperity can give us a false sense of security and ability. You see, when you're in the wilderness and you've got no food and you don't have any way to get food, you know, and, 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 and God's training you to look up and say, okay, God, I trust you. We've been here before. God, we, you've always been faithful. You see, that, that keeps us in a posture of dependence. But all of a sudden, when, when the bank account's full, we're, we're not doing this so much, are we? Um, you know, there's two ways to find your security. You can find your security in your hands or in God's hands. Let, let, let me tell you, let me tell you a, a thing that happens to me over and over again. It's a cycle that I'm in. Maybe, maybe you're in a similar one. And, and I'm always shocked by it and... Sometimes I see it coming. Sometimes I don't. Um, but here's the cycle that I find myself in. Okay. Things will begin to go good. Usually financially. Let's just use that as a, as a reference. You know, financially. You know, no, nobody had a surgery this month. You know, that's rare in the Dirk's house. So uh, nobody had surgery. And uh, so the medical bills have, have gone down. And uh, maybe we're just, you know, in a month where some things aren't due. And so all of a sudden I find myself looking at my checkbook saying, Ah, we're doing pretty good, you know? And, 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 and you know, my immediate tendency is my immediate tendency is I start, I start, I start, wheels start turning. I start kind of patting myself, man, we got this covered and, 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 and we can save back this money for this. And I, I start planning, you know, I like to plan, you know? And, and so, so we'll have enough money for this here and we'll, we'll have enough money for that there. And, oh, this check will come in then. And so we'll have enough for that. And, and man, pretty soon I'm just welled up with this sense of it's all going to be okay. You know, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be good. Man, Jason, you finally arrived. You know, you finally kind of hit this point where you're ahead on everything. And, and now everything's going to be good. And you, you just begin to, you know, just have this sense of security that's based on the numbers you see in the little book. And God is so faithful. You know what God does, don't you? Yeah, that air conditioner, it doesn't have to keep working, does it? You know, <laughs> Oh, ring, ring. Hey, Avery's got this horrible rash from head to toe. You know, we need to take her in for a thousand tests, you know. And all of a sudden, it, what happens? You know, my, my security begins to just crumble. And, and my immediate response usually is this despair. Bit, bit, just like the Israelites. Ah, why? Why? You know, man. Until, until I, and this always happens, God's so faithful. I'm like, Jason, you stupid. That's not your security. God is your security. And all of a sudden, when, when we're oriented that way, we're like, you know what? All of this can happen. That's fine. God is faithful. 
He will provide. He always has. He always will. I can trust Him. And all of a sudden, now I have that same feeling of, it's all going to be okay. But now it's, it's not all going to be okay because I got it all figured out. It's all going to be okay because you know what? God's, God's going to answer this. God's going to handle this. He always has. He always will. I can trust Him. But you see, if, if we get into the habit of, of just finding our security in the checkbook, oh man, that's a bad thing. If we get into the habit of finding our security in, in our own ability to work, in our own bright future in our job, what happens? God ceases to be on the windshield and we start being on the windshield. Notice verse 18. Great, great verse to remember. You shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers on this day. Boy, guys in the oil field, we, those of us who live here, we ought, to be, we ought to be really mindful of this, shouldn't we? That those prosperous times, they could end tomorrow, you know? Some of you guys have been around here long enough where you've seen that happen, you know? I mean, things are just, everything's bright, bye, 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 things are great. And then tomorrow, it turns off. And unless we live a life of roller coasterness, we, we must learn to depend on the Lord and find our, our, our dependence on Him. There's a lot at stake, actually, in this. Um, there's some pretty serious consequences. Notice, notice verse 18 and 19. Here's what God says to the Israelites. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as, as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Those last two verses remind me that this, this is serious. This whole principle of, am I going to depend on me or am I going to depend on God? Those are serious issues. And, and the reason they're so serious is because actually a lifetime of either has a drastically different end. Okay, A lifetime of depending on you, a lifetime of you're in control, you're calling the shots, you're depending on you. That's a lifetime that ends in perishing. On the other hand, a lifetime of, of God is in control. I can trust him. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by dollars alone. Man does not live by power alone. Man does not live by a good job alone. Man does not live by all of his circumstances being just right alone. But rather man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So salvation, the Christian life, all of it, all, all of it is simply lived by this posture of dependence. Me saying, God, I need you. I'm looking to you. I'm following you. I'm trusting you. I find my security and satisfaction and happiness in you. That's the message of Deuteronomy 8. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, God, that you would teach us to be dependent. God, teach us that, um, God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God, I pray that you would put in us, God, a, a radical uh, desire to, uh, God, to, to, to shoot big, uh, to aim for high things, God, to take risks, to, to, uh, to be bold. But, Lord, not on our own strength, but, God, help us to do those things dependent upon you, uh, yielded to you, looking to you. Father, we, we need you and we trust you. Teach us that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.